Section 6 of G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns The New Witness, 1919-1920 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron Stevenson G. K. Chesterton's Newspaper Columns The New Witness, 1919 to 1920, by G. K. Chesterton. Section 6. A Christmas Letter to Sir Alfred Mond, by G. K. Chesterton. Sir, we are still very close to Christmas, which should be a time of broad grins rather than supercilious sneers, and I do desire quite sincerely that the smile naturally evoked by your name should be as genial as possible. So I will begin by thanking you very heartily for a handsome advertisement. For my publishers may well be tempted to placard various empty spaces with the statement that no less a person than Sir Alfred Mond says that Mr. Chesterton is the man who writes all those funny books. Perhaps they will bring out a Mond edition of Chesterton with your portrait on each cover. They may or may not accept the logical inference you drew, that a man who writes funny books must be entirely irresponsible for all of his actions. But I am not disputing about that just now. Let it be agreed, for the moment, at least, that I am quite irresponsible. Nobody, I admit, can retort the charge upon you. You are quite responsible. You are responsible for quite a number of things. They cover a wide field, and range from remembering what your ancestors the Druids did at Stonehenge, to not remembering what your compatriot, the Lord Chief Justice, did on the Stock Exchange. They include more important things, of which I will make further mention in a moment, but I am beginning here with the phrase you used about me. In the course of your legal action for libel against Captain Beamish and Captain Fraser, you explained that you had not so replied to my arguments, because I was only amusing and irresponsible. This may or may not be a compliment to me, but obviously it is a very genuine compliment to them. Captain Beamish and Captain Fraser, at least, are in your eyes serious and representative public men. For if you would not attack me because I am irrational and irresponsible, it follows that you did attack them because they were rational and responsible. Now this interests me very much, because as a matter of fact my own position has always differed from that of Captain Beamish and Captain Fraser. It does not prevent me from admiring their unquestionable courage and sincerity. And if they are charged with extravagant fanaticism, the fault is largely with that cowardly habit of political silence which nobody but a fanatic can rouse to any sort of reply. It would be your fault, if nothing short of a stone thrown at your window by some wild fellow in the street could avail to reassure and delight the crowd with the appearance of your face. But anyhow, you can hardly charge these men with madness, since you have admittedly prosecuted them for their sanity. And that is what interests and even amuses me. I am ready to assume that you did not answer me because I was too frivolous, too fantastic, or, if I may use the image, too slight a figure. But I confess it would never have occurred to me that Captain Beamish and Captain Fraser would actually be selected for their moderation and exact balance of mind, as men whose solidity and sanity of political thought was beyond cavil. My own respect for them is founded on somewhat different qualities from those which you seem to have seen and saluted in them, when you chose them as your really responsible opponents. They are very likely better men than you or I, and certainly braver men than most, but I do not think they are more responsible men than I am, and, between ourselves, Sir Alfred, 
I do not think you think so either. I suggest to you, with all delicacy, that it will not do. You did not leave the new witness alone because it was less responsible, but because it was more responsible. You declined to challenge us precisely because you knew that our standpoint would be more sane and therefore more strong, that our theses would be more moderate and therefore more easily proved. As for my own small part in the matter, my position was always unmistakable and is still unchanged. I myself never called you a traitor, or never without making clear in the context the view which differentiates the thing from literal treason. I did not regard you as a traitor, if only for the primary reason that I did regard you as a foreigner. To betray England it is necessary to be an Englishman, and you are not an Englishman. Nor, I willingly admit, are you a German, or even a European. For all I know, the courts of law may decide that you are an Englishman. For all I know, the courts of law may decide that Mr. Jack Johnson is a white man. He is certainly a member of a more manly and magnanimous profession than either a financier's or a politician's. But I fear even an act of Parliament could not make Mr. Johnson look as white as Monsieur Carpentier, nor could it make you look like John Bull or even like Mr. Bottomley. It is already agreed that you do not even look like the average tow-haired, turnip-faced German. You look like what you are, and everybody knows what you are a cosmopolitan Jew of the sort of family that comes through Germany that may turn up in twenty different countries indifferently, but generally happens to linger longest in Germany, and has a great deal of German culture clinging to it. You are not a German, but you are a German Jew, a certain historic type of Jew for which the Jews themselves have a separate name. What you do not understand is this, that when considering our own country's welfare, we do not think such German Jews less dangerous than Germans, but more dangerous than Germans. A German who is a spy can be shot. An Englishman who is a traitor can be shot. But your intermediate and false position often blinds us, and may possibly blind you. Besides, the prestige of the true German did depend on some good tradition, such as music, while the prestige of the financier depends on nothing but money. I will never admit that the music-making native of Germany is more dangerous than the money-making alien from Germany. I will never admit that her Bach is worse than her bite. The danger of the latter alien is exactly that he does not even feel like an enemy. He does not see the difference, as I might not see the difference between Confucians and Taoists if I lived in China. What he ought to do is to resign his public posts in war. Some did it, and whether they were Jews or Germans, they were gentlemen. Now in the case just concluded, there were many things that remain mysterious to me, and as it had to be run on lines different from mine, I do not understand them yet. Mr. Percival Smith's position was probably distinct from either, though an impudent attempt was made to deny his claim as a barrister, and class him with clients with whom he happened to agree on some things. Apparently the traditions of the bar would be blasted if a barrister should, for one moment, believe what he said. But as an example of what I mean, whatever anyone else means, I would take the minute of your company printed elsewhere in this issue. I have said that if I am irresponsible, you at least are responsible. Among other things, I imagine, for your own company's meetings under your own presidency. Now, I believe it seemed quite natural and harmless for you to use or hear used those words about the secretary having promised to look after the interests of certain aliens in Germany. I cannot make head or tail of how these words can be reconciled with the idea that their interests were not being considered at all. Those words in wartime seem to me unnatural and shocking. If they seemed to you shocking, you allowed them, and you are a worse man than I think you. If they do not seem to you shocking, 
You are what I think you, and the principle of this paper is justified. In other words, you saw a network of inevitable Anglo-German business, where we saw a sword that had cut that net like a cobweb. Perhaps you were happy in that ignorance, or innocence. Perhaps, indeed, there is a better word for you than ignorant or innocent. If I wanted the mot juste, if I were to search fastidiously for a fresh and fitting term for the thing I mean, I think I should take the liberty of calling it irresponsible. On the eve of one of those festivals of hearth and altar, from which you and your people are unfortunately shut out, I speak truly more in sorrow than in anger. But it is true that you have no real responsibility to the realms in which you travel and trade. In the tragic sense in which we knew it, you are not responsible to anything, unless indeed it be to Israel and the God of your fathers. I hope it is. Yours without annoyance or apology, G. K. Chesterton. End of section 6.